Well, God speaks of, Jesus spoke of the faith of a child on many occasions. Remember Matthew 18? Pastor John just preached from this a couple weeks ago. And Jesus said, you've got to become like a child. And so the faith of a child is a good thing. However, we're never told to stay there. We're never told to stay at childlike faith. We're called to have a childlike faith, but not stay there. It's vacation season, right? Look around, you can see that. A lot of us are going to be traveling. Going to be traveling up and down the road, up and down these, these very dangerous highways. There's a wreck every other day on I-81, right? One time I was with my family on vacation. We had been vacationing down south of Virginia Beach. And Nancy and I got this idea. We said, let's leave in the middle of the night to avoid all the traffic. Have you done that? Plow in your car like 2 a.m. And, and take off down the road. So one, one night we did that. We, we, we drug the kids out of bed and we put them in our minivan then. There were four children, probably ages from like 2 to like 12 or something like that. I don't know. I'm being corrected, I sense, from my wife right now. But that's okay. Whatever their ages were, you get the idea. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. We're driving down the road, you know, 85, no, 65 miles an hour, okay? Yes. Driving down the road, high rate of speed. I'm driving. I look at my wife. She's cuddled up there all cute, you know, sleeping. I look in the rearview mirror. There's my son. He's knocked out of sleep. There's my little baby. She's asleep. My, my, other, son, my, my, my other son, he's, he's fast asleep. I look back at my daughter, and there she is, wide awake. She's one of those kids that could never go to sleep in the car. But what, what struck me about this moment, and, I, and I've shared this with you before, because the Lord really spoke to me riding down the road that day. My children were fast asleep as we're driving 65, 70 miles an hour down the road. One bad decision, and we're all dead, Right? One, one moment of, of sleep for dad, and we're off the road in the ditch, and, and who knows what happens. But they're sound asleep. Why? Why? Because daddy's driving. Nothing to worry about. Daddy's got things in control. I like this slide. It shares some of the many names that we see in Scripture for God. He is God. He is ruler. He's the shepherd. He's holy. He's the king. He's the Christ. He is the Lord, the covenant-keeping, personal God of the universe. And we depend upon the truth behind these names. It's what brings us hope. Really, it's The key to overcoming fear is to understand the promises of God, right? The key to overcoming fear is to understand God's promises to us as his children. But one of the things that strikes me is this. I don't think a lot of believers know those promises, I don't think a lot of believers know what God has promised us. 
And so we have this like, you know, nebulous trust like, yeah, I trust God because my pastor does, I think, or my, my focus teacher or, or whatever. Somebody else knows the promises of God and so they trust God, so I will. Listen, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. If your faith is mine, you're in trouble. If your faith is your parents, you're in trouble. If your faith is childlike and you're stuck there with a childlike faith, listen, you're going to live a life of fear. Understanding the promises of God is what eliminates fear and apprehension and hesitation and wavering from our life. It's why I want us to look at the Old Testament. And so we've been talking, and find your worship notes, we've been talking about the Old Testament of late. And, and I want you to turn to 2 Peter. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. And let's see a reason here why we would study the Old Testament. That's, what, that's one of the things we've been talking about as we've been doing this study together. We're walking through the Old Testament, and one of the things I'm trying to do as we do this is to see New Testament passages that call us to study the Old Testament. Understand that when Jesus was on the earth, he didn't have a New Testament. It hadn't been written yet. And so when Jesus spoke of Scripture not being broken, when Jesus spoke of the law and the prophets and Moses, he's talking about the Old Testament, And Peter, when he wrote these words and referred to the writings of God and to Scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament primarily. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, I want you to see here something briefly that Peter says that that maybe could serve as a challenge for us in our understanding of the Old Testament. Or as my seminary professor used to say, the First Testament. We weren't allowed to say the Old Testament. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 16. Here's what it says. Peter writes, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll just stop there for a minute. Listen, when we, when we read the Bible, when we study the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, these are not just clever myths. These aren't fables. These aren't little stories like the three little pigs or Goldilocks or whatever. That's not what this is. These aren't wisdom tales that that you're to read and then be brave like little David. If that's the extent of your faith, I'm going to be brave like young David and face the giants, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're not going to hold firm in your faith. Because David and Daniel and Samson and and the like, they're not the hero of the Old Testament. David was a sinful man like you and me in need of a Savior. We're going to see that today. These aren't myths or stories that we're just reading through. The Old Testament is the autobiography of God. This is the story of how God is working on the earth. Jump down to verse number 19 with me. It says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. He's talking about the Old Testament here. He's talking about the Old Testament teaching. 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's, someone's own interpretation. So in other words, men didn't make this up. These aren't man's ideas. Man did not develop a religion that people could then follow. God has revealed his will. God has revealed the only way that we can come to know him. And we find it through his word. Verse 21, for no prophecy... Now, prophecy here is speaking of the Old Testament, of, of the prophet's words. This isn't fortune-telling. That's not what this is. This is declaration of God's truth. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what we have here in, in God's words. Men moved by God to communicate it was a rare thing that God did. It was a rare, there were literally hundreds of years of silence when, when God did not reveal anything else. And he'd bring forth a prophet who would share God's truth. And now here we are. 2,000, 3,000, 3,500 years later, studying out the word of God. We're in the midst of a series. If you didn't know that already, go ahead and turn in your Bible to the book of 2 Samuel. We're in a, we're in a series right now. We're, we're walking through the story of the Old Testament, the account of the Old Testament. We started clear back in Genesis chapter 3 a few, about a month ago. And we saw the fall of man. We saw God make man out of dust, man and woman out of dust. And then man rebelled against God. And that brought in the consequences of sin. And you can read all about that through the rest of the Bible. Genesis 1 through 11 is highlighting the, the rebellion of man against God. God said, I've given you my word. I've given you my law. And man continues to rebel against that truth. We saw that. And then we saw God really break the silence and speak to a man named Abraham. Remember that? And to Abraham, God gave a promise. This is very important. It's called a covenant. We're going to talk about that at length today. God gave a promise to Abraham. Then we went forward 400 more years to Moses. It was just last week. And Moses then, God, through Moses, gave us the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. And God then revealed his character through what we call the Torah, the first five books of your Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Well, today we're going to flash forward. As a matter of fact, I will do just a quick announcement. Yes, I timed it exactly right. At 11.30, if you are part of the Centerpoint Facebook page, you just got a link, okay, to a great video that gives a, a, a fantastic overview of the Old Testament, Today, after church, not now, after church, take a minute, I think it's seven minutes, and watch that. It's very powerful. Let me just give you just a, a little bit of an overview of what's happening. It's important for us to understand, and I know you might be able to see all of this with a whole lot of detail, but I, I want to I start to paint the picture of the story of the Old Testament. And I'm going to pull this up a couple times over the next few months just to try to understand what's happening. So we started out over here with God creating everything. 
And then he called Abraham, and the descendants of Abraham then went into slavery in Egypt, and they were there for 400 years. And then the Lord brought forth Moses, who led them out of slavery, out of Egypt. We call that the Exodus. And then we moved into a time of conquest and the judges. And this is a place where you find Joshua and Ruth and Deborah and Gideon and Samson and Samuel. If you've been reading along with us, here's the calendar. If you've been reading along with us, you just finished this up. And I want to challenge you, if you haven't been reading with us, you can start this week. Start this week with 1 Kings. Grab one of these calendars and start reading with us and start today at 1 Kings. You'll be behind two days, but that's okay. I'm behind two days as well. It's all right, okay? You know what? If you're not staying up with this, it's tough. I know. Do the best you can. We're going to move forward, though, next week into the story, into the account from the book of Kings. But today, today we're going to land at potentially the most important passage in the whole Old Testament. I really believe what we're going to look at today may be the key passage of the entire Old Testament. Now that's quite a statement, all right? But it really is where I stand. And we're going to look today at the life of David. Now I want you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let me say a few words about David. David, of course, was, he was the first king to unite Israel. David was the king of the united kingdom of Israel. He ruled from about 1000 BC to about 960 BC. He ruled for 40 years over the nation of Israel. You know him. He was a, he was a musician. He was a poet. He was a warrior. Folks, he was a guerrilla warrior. I mean, he was like the original Navy SEAL, okay? He would, he would be out in the desert on the run from King Saul and gathering up these guys and sort of training them for battle. And they, he would fight against the Philistines as almost a guerrilla warfare expert. He wrote much, many of the Psalms. I got a number here. How many is it? 73. David, this warrior, also authored 73 of the Psalms. He wrote the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know that Psalm? That came from the pen of David. He poured out his heart. He was, a, he was, he was like the original Renaissance man, you know? He could kill you with the sword, or he could tell you a poem to bring tears to your eyes. He was an awesome man of God. And when he was good, he was very good. But when he was bad, he was very bad. He's referred to throughout our, our Bible. As a matter of fact, keep your finger in 2 Samuel 7 and turn to the very last chapter of your Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 22 with me. And look here what, what the Apostle John writes. And, and it's just striking how this David character is all through our Bible. Revelation chapter 22, verse number 16. The Apostle John here records the words of Jesus. And he says, Jesus speaking here, says to John, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. And then Jesus is going to describe himself. He says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. 
I want us to understand today, why is this David character such an important person in in the, the account of God's work? And I want you to see today that the promise made in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is perhaps the most significant promise in all of the Old Testament. And it's one that many believers know nothing about, but it's throughout your New Testament. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and let's start reading at verse number 1. Here's what it says. Now when the king lived in his house... And the Lord had given him rest from his surrounding enemies. The king, that's David, said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. And the word of the Lord said this, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak of word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies before, from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people of Israel, and I will give you rest from your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come from your, from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now that's a lot of scripture. And listen, it's a lot of place for you to be confused So I really, we, the Lord needs us right now to hear what this means. Now this is often, and it should be referred to as the Davidic covenant. It's a promise that God made to David, but it's also a promise to us. Now we need to be careful with this passage of scripture. Let me tell you what this passage of scripture is not saying. Understand this. God is not telling you that he's going to build you a house. God is not telling you that he's going to build you a home, you know, on some place. That's not what this means. We don't read these verses and say, oh, God's going to make me a house. So I'm going to go ahead and go build a wonderful house. That's not what this is. God here is revealing his plan 
for the universe, and it's going to come through a descendant of David who you know well, I hope, his name is Jesus. God here is speaking to David, but in reality, he's speaking to all of men. This is an example of something that we don't understand much, but it's called a covenant. A covenant. I want to take some time today and explain what a covenant is. A covenant is a promise. A covenant, the Lord's covenants are God's promises to mankind. It's like God wrote a job description for himself and then shared it with us. God said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. This is a promise that you and I need to hold on to of what God is going to do. A covenant. And the beautiful thing about this covenant is it's not only for David, it's also for us. For those who know Christ. God has placed you, when you came to know Jesus, God put you under the umbrella of his covenant. I want to show you this in God's word. This is from the book of Romans, and this is kind of a complicated theological topic, but I want you to stay with me for a minute. Here Paul says, some of the branches, and in the context, the branches means the, the Jewish people. These promises that were made to the Jewish people, like David, like Abraham. Some of the branches were broken off. And you, speaking to Gentiles, non-Jewish people who put their trust in Jesus, you, although a wild olive shoot, you were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. Here's what God is telling us. God made promises. They're called covenants. God made promises to the, to the nation of Israel. And he has included those like you in this room, I trust, who put your trust in Christ. God has said, you know that promise I made to Israel? It's yours. You know that promise I made through Abraham to the nation of Israel, to his descendants? It's yours. You know that promise I made to David? It's yours. You know that promise I made through Jeremiah called the new covenant? It's yours. This is something that we, we never really talk about. I think part of the reason is we get so focused. We get so focused on my personal relationship with the Lord. And we think that God is all about me. It's if God in all the universe said, my number one goal is this person right here. And that person is whoever happens to be thinking it. So for me, it's me. And for you, it's you. And for you, it's you. God shared these covenants, these promises that he made to the world. I don't have time to talk about all these, but let me just, let me just sort of highlight a few so you see what I'm talking about. God made a covenant with Noah. You remember that? What's the sign of that covenant? Every time you see a rainbow, you know what that means? That's God's promise. I will never destroy the whole earth through a flood. We might perish, 
but it's not going to be through a flood. That's a covenant. What do you do to earn that? What have you done to earn that? Nothing. God made that promise. We had the Abrahamic covenant. We saw it in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Here's what it is. I will, God says, I will bless people who have faith in me. I will bless people who have faith in me. And the blessing isn't cars or houses or bank accounts. The blessing is a relationship with him. If we have faith in God, we have a relationship with him. And that's the greatest blessing. Then we have the Davidic covenant, which I'm going to try to talk about today. It might bleed in the next week. The Davidic covenant is this. Here's what it is. Here's what it is. God says, I'm going to set up a kingdom on earth. And it will be ruled by a righteous king. You will one day have a ruler who won't cheat, who won't steal, who won't abuse, who won't hurt, who won't harm. He will be righteous. And you can trust him. You can give him total control of everything in your life. And he will never harm you. That's the Davidic covenant. That's what God has promised. I will have a king and he will rule on earth and there will be a kingdom and it will be good and it will be pure and it will be right. And right will be right in that kingdom and wrong will be wrong. I'm so worn out from wrong being called right and right being called wrong. Are you? Do you grow tired of that? Do you get tired of people all the time telling me that this thing is okay? It's okay to do this. Who are you to judge? This thing is wrong. It's, it's wrong to do this. Who are you to judge? You know why you feel that way? Because we don't have the king yet not ruling here over his kingdom. That's a Davidic covenant. That longing that you have, where you're like, oh God, please come back. That's your longing for that promise in 2 Samuel. Oh God, come. Oh King, come and rule over us, King, righteous King. That's your longing for this promise of God to come true. Listen, without that promise, I'm hopeless. If I, had no, if I didn't understand the promise, this is what I mean by childlike faith. If I didn't have, and I still have far to go, if we didn't have, let me say it that way, if we didn't have the bedrock foundation of the promise of a coming king, I'm going to walk away from God. It's why you today must build up this strength in belief in God's coming kingdom. Well, by the way, we also have the new covenant. You know what that is? You know what that is? There's a coming a day. Listen, listen to this. And we're going to get here, okay, together in about three weeks. There's coming a day where your heart and your spirit are not even going to long for sin anymore. You know that? God's going to give you a complete new heart. And God's going to give you a complete new spirit. 
so that even the presence of sin will be gone. You won't envy. You won't lust. You won't have greed. None of those things will be there when the new covenant is in place. Oh, it's going to be a happy day when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, all these covenants will be fulfilled. We'll be a brand new creature, living with the brand new king in a brand new kingdom, blessed because of our faith with perfect relationship with God and we'll never die. Where does this come from? The covenants of God. Let's take a few minutes and start in the Davidic king, uh, covenant. Um, yeah, the Davidic covenant, Okay. All right, so go, go with me to 2 Samuel. And I want us to see here what's happening, all right? What's, what's going on here? So David here kind of gets a little bit sort of zealous. He, he is a man after God's own heart. But we're going to see that he's also faulty, all right? So let's jump in here at verse number 5. Um, actually, verse number 3. So, so 2, that is. So the king says, hey, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent, So David says, I'm going to do something about it. See, David is ruling as king, and and things are now pretty good in the kingdom. All right? He's been victorious. His enemies have been beaten. He's now ruling over the United Kingdom of Israel. He is a very, very successful king. He's built himself a beautiful palace. We have have archaeological remains of of David's palace, and it was wonderful. But the ark of God, the ark of the covenant where God resided was still living, still being placed in a tent. And that tent was designed 400 years prior to that. Actually, 600 years was the original design. So understand there's a tabernacle, there's a tent that that the Israelites would would have to set this thing up and they put the Ark of the Covenant in there. And as they went through the desert, they'd tear it down and set it up and put the Ark of the Covenant there. And they'd tear it down and set it up and it, they went through all this process. And now David has a grand palace, but the Ark of the Covenant is still in a tent. David sees that. He's a good man. He's a man after God's own heart. But he's a little faulty. So he says... I'm going to do something about this. And the Lord sends Nathan, the prophet, to David in verse number five. And he says, go and tell my servant David this. Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house? Really, David? I never asked you to do this. I never said, hey, David, I need a house really, really bad. So can you get to work on this? God didn't do that. God says, I've been living in a tent for hundreds of years. And quite honestly, he's saying, I'm okay with it. Are you? Are you? See, David was a good man, a man after God's own heart. But David was a faulty man. He was a faulty man. And I believe what happened here is a common problem that that man has, and that is that David started thinking, I need to do something for God. I need to do something for God. God needs me to do something. Listen, let me tell you one thing we learned from the Davidic covenant, and that's this. 
God doesn't need you. God doesn't need anybody. God doesn't need you to do something for him. Let me tell you, that's a great comfort to me. I come up here and open up God's word and, I, and sometimes I stammer and sometimes I struggle and sometimes I get lost on my own notes. But I know the truth. Anything good that comes out of these next few minutes is all God anyway. David slipped into thinking that he needed to produce something for God. And God will be no man's debtor. You are never going to outdo what God does in your life. God is never going to say, oh man, you have done so much for me. I really owe you now. David slipped into thinking, I need to do this for God. Notice what God says. I love this. So David's saying, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a house. Look, at, look what God says to David in response. Verse number 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down, in other words, David, you're going to die. You are temporary. You're going to die. When you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his house. He shall build a house for my name. In verse number 11, the Lord declares to David, I'm going to build you a house. I love the truth here that God is revealing to David. David, I'm the one who does the work, not you. You don't work for me. I do the work. All you get is the fun. All you get is the joy. All you get is the benefit of seeing God work. God does the work. I love this truth and it's a great comfort to me. We see Jesus expressing the same truth throughout the New Testament. Most obviously is John chapter 15. You know that passage, some of you. John chapter 15, Jesus says, abide in me, abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. And bear just simply means to hold. That's all it means. David, because of, honestly, he was a faulty man, and he had a little bit of pride, he started slipping into thinking, I'm doing for God. And God's saying, "Mm mm-mm. No, David, I'm doing for you. Now, I want you to see what it is that he started to do. Now, Israel, and we're going to see this here in verse number 10. Israel is a, is, is a special sort of people of God, but the only thing that makes them special is because God has made promises to them. Go with me in verse number, in verse number 10, and let's read here. So, The Lord says, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel. I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more. As formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people, Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Now, Israel is a a nation of people. It's It's the descendants of Abraham. And God is saying here, I made promises to you. And those promises have not been fulfilled yet. But there is coming a time when God is going to restore the nation of Israel. 
Not just the country Israel that we see now, but these descendants of Abraham who are putting their trust in Jesus. And through them, God is going to bless the world. This has never happened yet. Never happened yet. It's a future truth that's coming. And that continues here in this passage. Go with me. Now let's go 12 and beyond. When your days were filled and, and you allowed your fathers, David, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now there are some elements of this promise of the Davidic covenant. This gets a little confusing. There are some elements in here that seem to be speaking of the direct descendant of David named Solomon. And there are some that are speaking of a future descendant of David who we now know is named Jesus. And so the way that theologians describe this is, they say there are some things that are already have happened and some things not yet. So we have already not yet. Let's read through this and see if we can see some things that have already happened and some things that have not yet happened. Verse number 13. He shall build a house from my name. Now, some of you know your biblical history. David had a son. What was his name? Solomon. Solomon is famous for many things, okay? Wisest man to ever live and so forth. 300 wives, 700 concubines, so he wasn't very wise. Violated much of God's commands for a future king of Israel. But one of the things that Solomon is most famous for is building a temple. He built a magnificent temple where the Ark of the Covenant came. So in some respects, you can see that this descendant of David built a house. But let's keep going. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In Jerusalem today, does Solomon's temple still stand? No. No. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians jumped on their horses or camels, I'm not sure which one, and rode into Jerusalem and committed, you would say, maybe the second or third holocaust against the Jewish people and ransacked the whole community and burned the temple of Solomon to the ground. Solomon probably thinking of this passage, said, God, what, what happened? I thought you were going to establish my king, kingdom forever. See, there are parts of this that are here now. And there are parts of this that haven't come yet. So what I'm going to do today is we're going to stop here and we come back together in a week. We're going to look at what's coming in the future. But here's what I want us to end with. You know that coming kingdom where right is right and wrong is wrong? Where there's a ruling king who rules righteously? Who's a good man, a, a righteous man, a man you can trust, a, a holy man? His name is Jesus. That's the coming king. The descendant of David. And the truth is, no human being can be in his kingdom without his forgiveness. 
You were made to long for his kingdom. You know that feeling you have, like where you want things to be right? That's God's thumbprint that makes you long for a righteous king. But you'll never be in that kingdom unless that king makes you righteous. That's why Jesus went to the cross. So that his righteousness can be given to us so that we will spend eternity with that righteous king. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that it is secure and solid. Lord, and it doesn't return void. Lord, you've placed in our heart a longing for you and your righteousness. We're surrounded by a world that's opposed to you and unrighteousness. I thank you, Lord, that this longing is evidence of eternity on our heart. So remind us of the truth that you are the coming king. You are the righteous king. And that you went to the cross to make us able to be with you forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.